At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Father, I just pray that you would allow us to experience what that really means as we go through our lives. That because you have risen, that Lord, no matter what happens in this world, it, if it's painful, it's temporary. If it's chaotic, it will pass because the empty tomb proves that you have won the victory. So, Lord, it is well. We can trust you with it all. Thank you for allowing us to sing together and praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated except for the kids. It's time for you to experience Woodside Kids. We, uh, we were able to dismiss last week in a pretty fun way on Palm Sunday as Keebler the donkey actually escorted the kids off to their Palm Sunday celebration at Woodside Kids. We don't have that today or anything kind of like that, but there is a very special way where they're going to come back today. So brace yourself. We'll talk more about that later, but parents will actually bring the kids back in the room at the end of their program uh, so you can receive them here. Um, thanks so much for bringing your families today. I know a number of you have like your whole clan with you, and, and we as a church just wanted to to recognize the importance of that, of a household of faith and, and sharing together, even multi-generationally, uh, just that, that shared experience of celebrating the risen Christ. So we have, just as a gift to you, we have uh, family portraits being taken place right in the back behind the sound booth there after service. So make sure you stop by there and get a quick picture. We'll have them posted by the end of the week. And you can download them and get them printed however you want to get them printed. And if you rent billboards, you know, if you're into that and putting your family at picture up on there, you know, that would be fine. Uh, but we, just, just our little gift to you uh, to thank you for uh, gathering with us here on Easter Sunday. So happy Easter to you, everybody. Thanks so much for being here. I know several of you are, have some challenges going on in your life and... We pray for you. Thank you for letting us know of some of those challenges so we can pray for you. We have a very, um, very intense prayer team uh, here at Woodside that takes those requests seriously. So that's one of the purposes for the communication card that's in your bulletin. If you got one of those this morning that you can, if you have a need that you'd like us to pray for, uh, fill that out and give it to Annette or stick it in one of the boxes. Uh, we'd certainly uh, make those things a matter of prayer. Prayer truly works. It's not like a button you push and then things happen. It's a promise Jesus gave that if you, if you ask anything according to his name, he hears it. And we know that if he hears it, we have the request that we ask of him. So we encourage you to do that. Well, we were here just a couple of days ago, actually, on Good Friday, uh, as we contemplated the cross of Jesus his sacrifice for us, and, um, and it was sobering, it was, uh, it caused us to think of how truly painful our sin is to the Father, how offensive it is, because uh, we see how offensive it is because of the price that Jesus paid for that. And we kind of ended Good Friday, as, as we intended to, with that 
with that scene of Jesus being nailed to the cross and of his breathing his last breath hours later after a tortuous execution. And then as he died, the Bible says that the, the veil in the temple tore from top to bottom. It says the earth shook and, and the sun went dark there midday. So just imagine, if you would, if you're one of his disciples, one of his followers. In fact, I don't think we can really understand what they must have gone through as they saw their king, or who they thought was the king, executed by his enemies. They would have spent this entire weekend with those horrifying thoughts of, okay, now what do we do? What is life going to be like without Jesus? I mean, Jesus made life make sense. Those those last three years that Jesus had spent with them gave their life purpose and filled them with hope as they look forward to this eternal kingdom that now they realize isn't just a pipe dream. It's not not like the prophets of old had talked about things and it wasn't really going to happen. It was just to give you... No, Jesus, in all that he said and all that he did, gave them full confidence that, no, God with us, that's really going to happen in an eternal sense. But then Jesus dies. So how do they go on after that? Hard to imagine. Some of us have maybe gotten a little close as, as you've, you can think of experiences in your life when you had to wrestle with that thought of how can life go on now without them? My dad would tell the story of a time, probably like 40 years ago now, I was, I was barely a teenager and... Um, and I think it was this time of year. We lived down in southern Indiana, and my grandparents were in Michigan. And, and so mom and us three boys loaded up the car, and dad sent us off. Work kept him home for some reason. I was 13. I, I don't know why. I just knew that dad couldn't go. And so it was just mom and us three boys. And, and dad waved us off, and we, we hit the road, and dad went to do his thing. And we are traveling our six hours or so back home to... To Michigan. Three hours after we left, Dad gets that terrifying phone call from the state police. It says, Sir, there's been an accident. You need to come and meet at the hospital. Of course, he pried for details. They wouldn't give him any details. So we hung up the phone and rushed around the house thinking, okay, what do we grab? What do I need? What, what's going to happen? One of the things he grabbed with his, was a suit coat because in his mind was this thought of, is there a funeral coming? I need to be ready for that too. Loaded up the car, rushed. Those three hours became a two-hour trip, of course, to mid-Indiana where he met at the hospital and found that we had all survived. You know, and we certainly have scars to talk about it and tell you about it, but... Those fears were gone, but he had three, two and a half, three hours of wrestling with those thoughts of what am I going to do? If my entire family is gone, all my kids and my spouse suddenly wiped away, how do I go on? 
Maybe some of you experienced that, but actually then the nightmare came true. Where you had to wrestle through that reality of now what do I do? So we get, a, we get maybe a taste of what his followers would have experienced, but even so, I don't think it was at the degree that the followers of Jesus were wrestling because they had realized this isn't just like the rest of their life. This is, this is eternity that could be affected now if he, what he said wasn't true. That if he wasn't king of kings, then all that he talked about and all that he hinted at and all that he gave evidence of being true, maybe that was not. So now what do we do? And that's kind of the tone that we get to when we get to Matthew chapter 28. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Matthew 28. We'll have the words on the screen. Um, but we've been spending time in the book of Matthew in these last several chapters. The last six weeks, we've, we spent time in one of Jesus' final talks with his disciples about what would happen when the kingdom does come. Friday night, we spent time in chapter 27 as we looked at the events of the crucifixion. We get to 28, Jesus had just died. He had quickly been removed from the cross and quickly rushed to a burial because they, the Jews didn't want his body hanging out as an executed criminal because the next day was the Sabbath and they, they knew it was a curse on them all if they had these criminals hanging out having expired um, out in public, and so they hurried up and rushed a burial. He did, they didn't have time, his family and friends didn't have time to prepare his body adequately for the burial, so they rushed it. The sun sets, Sabbath begins, it actually begins Friday night at sunset. Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning, we get to chapter 28. And as we look at this chapter, you're going to see that it's actually divided into three different sections, each one at a different geographical setting. Same general area in Israel there, but there's the tomb, and then there's the city that the scene will shift to, and then there's a mountain in Galilee that the scene will shift to. So it begins at the tomb. Verse 1 says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Let's pause there. So these women, these were truly his disciples. Now they weren't part, they weren't part of the twelve, right? There was twelve men that Jesus chose to follow him three years ago. and they, So they weren't part of the twelve, but they were true followers. In fact, the twelve... 11 of the 12, were gathered in an upper room, kind of cowering, because if they executed Jesus and they find out we're followers of Jesus, they might execute us too. So they're kind of hiding out, wondering, what do we do now? What's, what's the point? Are we going to still be friends? Because the only thing that united us was Jesus and he's gone, so what are we going to do? But not these two women. They went to the tomb because they followed Jesus. They went expecting there to be a body, so they had gathered spices and came to the tomb to give his body the proper treatment that it lacked because of the rush. 
They came to visit his grave. I don't know how many of you visit a grave. It's, it's typically a one-way visit, right? You go and you want to honor the one that you lost and there's not anybody around. You want to maybe say a few things to the one that you're, that you're missing. You go because you want to be with them, even though you know it's not fully being with them, but in a sense it is, and so you go, but you know that though you're with them, there's not going to be that sense that they're with you. Women went kind of with that spirit. We want to go and there we want to honor him and be with him, even though he may not be with me. Let's continue. And behold, it says verse 2, Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord had descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. So here's the second earthquake. Friday night we talked about the first one. When Jesus died, when he breathed his last breath, the earth shook, dropped the guards to their knees, which has caused one of them to say, well, this has got to be the Son of God. Right? That was the first earthquake. So now two days, three days later, there's another earthquake as this angel breaks into the atmosphere to move the stone where Jesus was, had been buried. Not so Jesus could get out, all right? Don't get that thought. It's just it's so that others could get in and see what, it, what had just happened. Keep reading. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow, the angel... For fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Don't miss the irony of that. Why were the guards there? To guard a dead man. You're right. So here's these guys guarding the tomb of a dead man. What happens is when they hear and see the angel, they become like dead men, while the one they guarded was alive. It's a, it's a beautiful wordplay that... Matthew uses as he records it. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Again, here's a contrast. The guards frozen in fear like dead men. The women with their fear transformed to joy. Verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them. So it's not just the angel now. It's not just the angel saying this has happened. On their way from the tomb, going back to the city to tell the cowering disciples that Jesus was truly alive... Jesus meets them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, for there they will see me. Like I told you, I'll see you in Galilee, he says. So immediately they had this experience that lets them know that if Jesus said it, you can trust it. Right? Jesus had told them this is going to happen. He had told them, we're going to Jerusalem, and one of you will betray me, and they will kill me, 
but in three days I'll rise from the dead. So maybe there was times where they, where they thought, okay, let's try to figure out what he's talking about. What could he mean by possibly saying such things? Right? They probably had all kinds of theories that were going, but in that moment they realized, actually, what Jesus said, I can believe. I can trust. I don't have to figure out what he meant by this. If Jesus said, I will rise again and you will see me in Galilee, that's what's going to happen. And that etched a path for all followers of Jesus for the rest of our time on this earth that if Jesus has said something, you can believe it. So if he has said that if you seek first my kingdom and do what's right, then all the rest of your worries will all be taken care of. You can believe it. And he says, if, if he truly said that if you ask anything according to my name, I will, I will hear it and I will do it, then, then you can bank on that. And, and if Jesus says that if you defend me before people, I'll defend you before the Father, then you can trust that. If, if Jesus has truly said, he that believes in me will not be condemned, but he will have eternal life, then you can believe that your belief in Jesus and what he's done on the cross and rising from the dead will provide you eternal life. If Jesus said, I'm, I, I'm not going to be around much longer, I'm going to go to the Father, but I'm going to prepare you a place so we can be together forever, then you can believe there's a heaven. If Jesus has said something, his resurrection proves that you can believe it. So what does this do to the women? It fills them with great joy. They, it, it's not that all of their crazies in their life are all taken away. No, they were still all that. They just knew that as they experienced the crazy in life, Jesus is with us, and that makes all the difference in the world. That, that nothing, literally nothing changed from what they had before. Because what they had before, I mean, think of the difference that Jesus made in their life. They saw that when Jesus is with us, even sickness has to bow before him as they saw him heal the sick and cause the lame to walk and the blind to see. They saw that when there's hunger, Jesus can address it. As Jesus, they saw Jesus take the loaves and fish and multiply it and feed thousands of people. They saw that Jesus, when, when there was a storm, their lives were threatened, they didn't have to fear because Jesus could simply stand in the boat and say, peace, the storm is calm. Jesus made all the difference in the world, but then they had this... These few days where they thought, oh, but maybe he's not here. And if he's gone, that makes all the difference in the world. But now we see that he's not. He's with us. So we can have great joy. So what do they see at the tomb? They see that the presence of Jesus fills us with great joy. And then the scene changes. Then it goes to the city. If we keep reading there in verse 11, 
This is what happened in the city. While they, the women, were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave them a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. This is, this is hush money, right? So these are the same leaders who paid off Judas to, depray, to betray Jesus. Now they pay off the guards so that they change their story. And they said, tell the people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ear, we'll satisfy him, we'll keep you out of trouble. I mean, it was a big deal. If guards fall asleep at their post, it's not like a slap in the hand. This is, this is worthy of death for a guard. But we'll give you money, enough money, it says sufficient money, sufficient for you, for them to believe that they're going to be kept safe from the governor. So don't think this is a $20 bill. So they took the money and did as they were directed, and the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. This, this story has been spread from that day on, and it spreads today. I mean, that storyline has continued through generations. Now, there's been no one successful at denying that Jesus lived, Jesus of Nazareth lived, that he was executed on a Roman, uh, Roman cross in a crucifixion. Now, historians can't deny that. There's just too much evidence. So what they've done is interpret the story so that we can remove this thought that Jesus has truly risen from the dead. In fact, just yesterday, flipping through the news articles, and there's a professor of religion at such and such university that gives the explanation for the celebration of the resurrection and how Christians, even all the way, he says, beginning in the first and second century, followers of Jesus believed that he had risen from the dead. But by the third century, they say, many Christians had understood that it was more of a metaphysical experience. And even today, most Christians acknowledge that his resurrection is probably an explanation for something else. What? What? Well, the scripture said that would happen. Is that there would always be some explanation beyond Jesus risen from the dead. But that's just one storyline that's thread through human history, right? There's another storyline. There's a storyline that started with the blind man who was healed, and he said, I don't know how he did it. All I know is I was born blind, but now I can see. You tell me, is he the Messiah? Right, we got his story. We've got the story of the disciples who witnessed the resurrected Christ. And all of them except John were executed because of that claim. So they were pushed to the human limits, many of them a tortuous death, to try to get them to recant. And none of them did. The Apostle John is the only one that seems like he wasn't executed for his faith, but he was put on exile on the island of Patmos for, to, to die out his final days. But never did he recant. Why? Because they knew it was true. As, as they wrote, 
spoke in the book of Acts. So he said, we can't help but speak of Jesus because what we have seen and what we have heard and what we have experienced in our life. Third century, Augustine, transformed, who was previously a, a, a kind of a great Gatsby kind of guy and a womanizer um, who was transformed by the uh, spiritual awakening of the, of, of the resurrected Jesus. And it transformed him into a, into a solid student of the Word of God. Much of what we understand in theology, we can trace back to some of his, some of his studies. You rush forward for sake of time, let's rush to the 21st century. And people that are here, many of you are here because the resurrected Jesus has made an impact in your life that you've seen. Actually, there's another storyline. Some people would say, how this could even be true? This is ridiculous. But you'd say, all I can tell you is that his presence with me makes all the difference in the world. It's transformed my life. In fact, I sent an email out to about six, five or six people uh, this week, and I said, we're going to be talking about the difference Jesus makes in our lives. Would you just give me just a quick response what difference does he make? Here's what Kathy said. Kathy Doan says, Jesus with me gives me peace. He shakes off my doubt, and he constantly guards my heart. Joe said, Joe Wassel said, I have confidence to face each new day. I have strength to speak the truth even when it's not popular. I have hope that this world isn't the end of the story. Aren't you glad? This is not the end. I have grace for myself and others that I come in contact with. Courtney says, knowing that Jesus is with me helps me know that I have no need for fear, even in the scariest of times. I have a sense of comfort and peace. And she said this, I have a companion who I want to impress. I want to make him proud. Danny said, before I knew Jesus, I was alone and dying. But today, with Jesus, my life overflows with blessings. I can sense the presence of God within me. It's unmistakable that it's him. Because with Jesus, I'm living. I'm not just alive. Don't you love that? I'm living. I'm not just breathing. I'm not just existing. Gary said, I can look at the craziness in this world, knowing that this is all temporary. God gives me purpose, and I've been instructed to give of myself. I now ask the question, how can I be of service to others? You see, the resurrection provides us that assurance that Jesus is with us. It's not just something we celebrate. It's not just something we, we say that we believe. It's something that transforms our life like nothing else could. Let's keep reading. The chapter continues. We're, it's, it's almost done. Verse 16 says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
Don't rush through that first phrase. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Okay, because you... Has anybody been to Israel? Raise your hand if you've been. Nobody. Okay, so where's Galilee compared to Jerusalem? Well, it's about 50 miles. So, how does this make sense? Jesus is buried in Jerusalem. His disciples are in the city hiding in Jerusalem. He tells the women, go to tell them that I'm going to meet them in Galilee. That's like 50 miles. What? Some of you practical people would have said to the women, ah, uh, I got a better plan. Tell them we'll meet them at McDonald's because that's like halfway. Right? Because he's outside of Jerusalem, we're in Jerusalem, and there's McDonald's right at the gate, right at the exit ramp. Tell them we'll meet him there. It'd be a whole lot easier. And man, the guy went through an execution. Why would he travel 50 miles to Galilee? Why do we, 50 miles out in the public? Why would he have told him to meet me in Galilee? And we know he did because... Matthew's gospel records before, before they started the Passover supper, Jesus said, here's what's going to happen, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to meet me in Galilee. After all this happens, meet me in Galilee. And then the angel comes, tells the women, now go tell the disciples to meet Jesus in Galilee. And then just to make sure, Jesus appears to the women on the way and says, now remember, I want them to meet me in Galilee. What's the deal with Galilee? What's the deal with 50-mile trip? Well, Galilee is where it all started. Galilee is where Jesus came to the Sea of Galilee, and there was these fishermen, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and they were having a terrible time with their fishing trade. And Jesus said, after they saw and heard from him, Jesus said to them, you know, leave your nets here. Come and follow me. It was a town in Galilee where Jesus went into that little town and there was Matthew, the tax collector, hated by his citizens because he was a traitor. He was gathering taxes for Rome. And Jesus said to Matthew, leave the tax collecting behind and come and follow me. It was in the city of Galilee where Mary of called Magdalene, was healed of her ailment, some believe demon possession, and she began to follow Jesus. It was in Galilee where Jesus brought all this huge gathering of disciples up to the mountain and he taught them. And then the day ended and Jesus separated from them and went up into the mountain there in Galilee and he spent all night praying with the Father. And then at dawn, he came out and he gathered with his disciples and he said, okay, we're on a mission. I'm going to choose 12. I want 12 of you to stay close. And he named the 12. And from the mountain in Galilee, they began their mission. Jesus and his disciples going throughout that entire region, speaking of the kingdom, doing the works of the kingdom, inviting people into the kingdom. And so it was Galilee where Jesus said, meet me there. 
because I need to take, take you back to the beginning. I need to bring you back to your calling because you've been so immersed in all the crazy that was found in the city and you've been tarnished with what has appeared to be something, but actually it wasn't. It appeared to be my destruction, but actually it was the fulfillment of the Father's plan. So let me take you back to Galilee. Meet with me there. We're going to start again. Maybe. I, I don't know if this is true. I have a trip planned for Israel next year. I'm going to see if this is true. Maybe from the mountain in Galilee, they could look down from that point, and they could see the Sea of Galilee, and maybe they would have, maybe they would have pointed and said, "You know what? That's we were there. That's where the sea was stilled, where we thought we were going to die." Maybe they could see across the Sea of Galilee to see the land of Gadara. I don't know how many of you remember the story when Jesus went to the region of Gadara, just in the the coast of the Sea of Galilee, and that's where this crazy demon-possessed man that was bound with chains and he would break him apart he would cut himself he was a it was he terrorized the communities and he bowed his face to jesus and was healed it was on the mountain out in galilee where jesus was with his thousands of people that were hearing him teach and he took that boy's lunch and he divided it and gave it to them so maybe he met them in Galilee so they could see, wait, I can't deny this. This, this stuff happened. This is, this is true. Have you ever had a time in your life where though you believed in Jesus before, situations happened or maybe didn't happen, and you got to the point where you thought, well, maybe, maybe it's just not true. Maybe it was just like an emotional thing that I went through. I mean, I thought it was true. Mom and Dad said it was true. Grandma and Grandpa said it was true. We all said it was true. But now I'm out of my own. Now I'm thinking, hmm, maybe, maybe it's not true. Maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus needs to bring you back, meet you at the mountain in Galilee to say, look, look, look closer. Aren't those things true? And that truly happened? Remember that, that sense when you felt like I was so close to you in those moments? I want to remind you of that because those moments were true. So it's very fitting that Jesus brought them back to the mountain of Galilee, 50 miles from where they could have met, to launch them into this new mission. That's not just for you guys. Now I'm calling all of you to go into the remotest part of the world. Take, take the message of all that you've seen, all that you've heard, and now go into the world to let them know that this is true. And then the final verse, the final verse of this chapter, it says this, verse 20, says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I don't know if you're into underlining your Bible. That's a good verse to underline. And then go back to the beginning of Matthew, because remember when the angel came to Joseph and said, hey, Mary's really going to have a baby, and it really is from the Holy Spirit. When the baby's born, and as he lived, they're going to start calling him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew is presenting this idea from start to finish, that God is with you. He's with you. The risen Lord didn't just come, come alive, and, and now you can just have this 
thought that, well, Jesus is alive. No, the reality is he's, he's alive and wants to be with you. So how can Jesus be with you? Jesus said, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. How do you, how do you, how do you have Jesus' presence in your life? It's coming to him. It's embracing his identity as the son of God. Embracing the reality that he did die on the cross to pay for your sins and rose from the dead to prove that he had paid it in full. And you welcome him as your Lord and your Savior. Admit that you need him. And then you welcome him in. So on this Easter Sunday, you know, my hope is that it's more to you than simply just a reason to get a family picture. (laughs) That is more than... Just a reason to kind of break out of the quandary of winter and now we can head into spring. Oh, that's great. But for you, I hope it's reality that Jesus is with you and that you can walk with him every day. There'll be times where you feel like he's right there. There'll be times where you feel like he's not. But since Jesus is risen, you can believe him because he said, I will never leave you. I will forsake you, or ever forsake you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for giving us the the record of what happened. Father, that you did send your son, who's given his life for us on the cross, paying our ransom, paying it in full as proven by his resurrection but then giving us the promise that he is with us. And Lord, we want to be faithful to your mission, to let as many people know that would listen, that you are here, that you are alive, that you are real, and that you want to have relationship with them. Lord, you make all the difference in the world. We've learned that. We've experienced that. We've heard it from so many people, not just written in a book, but written in the hearts of people. Lord, you make all the difference. Thank you for doing that with us. I pray that more would experience it, Father. So bless your people as we respond to this, as we sing, as we celebrate your resurrection together, both as a church as well as families today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.